This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Please to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to be reading from verse 13. Paul writing said, Therefore we have been comforted in your comfort. And we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus because of his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. And his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how in fear and trembling you received him. Therefore I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. Uh, Romans chapter 10. Verse 11, for the scripture says, whosoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And then chapter 9, verse 33, the last verse of that chapter, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Amen. Paul had boasted to Timothy, Paul had boasted to Titus, beg your pardon, many things regarding these Corinthian believers. His estimation and his expectation of them was very, very high indeed. And so he sends Titus to them. But in so doing, he's taken a risk. Will these Corinthians live up to his high recommendation? Or will they falter? Or will they not be as good as he said to Titus that they were? Will his confidence be well placed? Will his boasting of them be okay? Well, I think in 2 Corinthians seven fourteen he gives that answer. He says, I am not ashamed of these Corinthians. If we could change that word to disappointed. I am not disappointed in them. They weren't perfect. They had all kinds of problems. But Paul was not disappointed in them. Everything Paul spoke of these Corinthians to Titus was found to be absolutely true. In Romans 10, 11, Romans 9, 33, let's compare what Paul said of Christ. Whoever believes on him shall not be ashamed or shall not be disappointed. If we're trusting him, if we're serving him, if we're following him, if we're loving him, we shall not be 
disappointed, will never ever be ashamed. The dictionary definition of disappointment is failure of expectation or intention. Failure of expectation or intention. The holiday destination was not what you read in the brochure when you got there. It said a five-minute walk to the beach. An hour later, you still haven't reached it. Wonderful sea view. And you got about two feet of it through two apartment blocks. It was not what you read in the brochure, so you are disappointed. The goods you bought in the store, in the shop, were not what you thought they were when you got at home. A few years ago, Sally and I were looking for a new suite. And so we shopped around, and we went to this particular shop in Belfast, and we saw this uh, lovely leather seat, which was just the right dimensions for our living room, right color, etc. Nice leather, fair price. And so we had a good look at it, and we thought, that looks good. But then as we looked closer, we saw there was little snags in the hide. And so we asked the proprietor about that, and he says, well, you know, it's cow hide. And cows being cows, they rub up against the barbed wire, and they get snagged, and, uh, and so, but that, that adds to the, to the, you know, to the whole look of the thing. A lot of people like that. And we said, well, we don't like it. And, uh, but if we order one, because they no more in stock, if we order one, would it be good? Oh, yeah, I says, I'm, I'm sure it will be good, but we never really know that we get it, but generally, they're, they're very, very good. So we ordered one. Six weeks later, it arrived at our house, and it was, you know, all cardboard and polystyrene, and the guys ripped it off, and they set it in place, and Sally being Sally had a good inspection. It looked all upside down and inside out and around and about, and lo and behold, we found a mark. And it wasn't a snag. That was a cow brand. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Some old cow in Argentina got branded. And that's what was on it. Who wants us a tea with a cow brand on it? So it got short shift. It was straight back onto the lorry again and back to Belfast. We had to wait another six weeks. And we eventually got one that was good. But it was disappointing, to say the least, after waiting six weeks. You got an F in mass. The flight you were waiting on was cancelled. A lot of people disappointed with Ryanair this year. A lot of big disappointments. Paul was disappointed with Demas. A young man who invested a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of prayer, a lot of instruction. And yet he wrote, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. After all of that effort and time and prayer and energy, Demas walked off and left him. And you can be sure he was disappointed. Jesus must have been somewhat disappointed with Thomas. When those disciples met that first Sunday evening after the resurrection, Thomas wasn't with them. And whenever they went back excitedly, saying to Thomas, we have seen the Christ, he's risen. I will not believe it until I see him with my own eyes, until I touch him with my own hand. 
following week, Jesus appeared. Thomas was with them. Remember what Jesus said? Thomas, be not faithless, but believing. He must have been disappointed with his unbelief. Of course, whenever he saw him, Jesus says, reach out your hand, touch me, but he didn't need to. Peter was definitely disappointed with himself. But whoever believes on him shall not be disappointed. All kinds of things in life disappoint us, but Christ will never disappoint us. The little woman with the issue of blood was disappointed for 12 years with all of the doctors. She spent all of her money, every cure she could find, she bought and paid for, none of it worked. She must have been terribly disappointed until she met Jesus, until she reached out and touched the hem of his garment and was miraculously, supernaturally healed from the crown of her head to the soles of her feet. Jesus was not a disappointment. Blind Barmas, Bartimaeus, shouting to Jesus, Thou son of David, have mercy on me! And the crowd says, Shut up. You're an embarrassment. You're really an old beggar. You're an attention seeker. But he didn't shut up. He kept shouting. And Jesus stopped and called him and healed him. Jesus was not a disappointment to those 5,000 on the hillside who was with Jesus for three days listening to him teach and preach. And at the end of three days, the disciples were hungry and they said, send them home. <laughs> send them home to get something to eat. They're hungry. Well, no, you're hungry. That's what it is. And Jesus says, you feed them. And 5,000 men besides women and children were not to be disappointed. Whoever believes on him shall not be disappointed. We can truly put our hope and our confidence in the Lord today. All kinds of things and people are going to disappoint you, but never Christ. He'll never fail us. He'll never disappoint us. Why? Because he is faithful. Let me just read to you a couple of scriptures. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keeps covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Psalm 36 and 5. Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens and your faithfulness reaches unto the clouds. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. 1 Peter 4.19 Wherefore, let him that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 3. But the Lord is faithful 
who shall establish you and keep you from evil. 2 Titus 2.13. If we believe not, yet he abides faithful because he cannot deny himself. Hebrews 2.17. Therefore in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. Almost finished. Hebrews 10.23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Revelation 1.5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth. What a faithful God we have today. D.L. Moody said, trust in yourself and you're doomed to disappointment. Trust in your friends and they will die and leave you. Trust in money and you may have it taken from you. Trust in reputation and some slanderous tongue may ruin it. But trust in God and you will never be confounded in time or in eternity. Glory to God. Do you know what the middle verse of the whole Bible is? Psalm 118 verse 8. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. We break our promises. Not that we mean to. Oftentimes we make promises that we just can't keep. Or when we made it, we were in a position to keep it, but down the road, we're not in that position anymore. And try as we may, we just couldn't keep that promise. We feel. Sometimes people fail us. Sometimes people offend us. They say things or they do things. And it offends, it hurts. But let me tell you, one day, if you haven't already, one day you will be the one who will feel somebody, who will offend somebody. In our humanity, not that we go out of our way to do it, but it happens. But whoever believes in him shall never, ever be disappointed. He is the faithful one. What he has promised, he's able also to perform. <laughs> Everything he's ever promised in his word he can do. Nothing's going to change with him. His circumstances won't change. His supply is always there. So whatever he has promised, he can do without fail because he's a faithful one. Not only that, he is able. Romans 4.21, what God has promised, he is able also to perform. Romans 14 he is able to make us stand. Jude 24, he is able to keep us from falling. Ephesians, he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that is in us. Hebrews 7:25, he is able to save to the uttermost. Hallelujah. He's absolutely able. Lord Radstock was preaching one time in Woolwich and the service 
went on quite late, and he had to hurry for his train at the end of the meeting. And as he sat in his seat, and the doors closed, and the driver blew the whistle, a young army officer banged on his window and said, Sir, I heard you tonight. How can a young man stay straight? Lord Radstock brought a pencil out of his pocket, and he said to him, Can I stand this pencil up in my hand that it may stay straight? And he says, No. So Lord Radstock took the pencil with his right hand and held it firm and held it up on his left hand. And the young officer says, Aha, he says, but you're holding it. Exactly, he said, exactly. When you give your life to Christ, he will hold you firm. He will keep you from falling. He will keep you straight. And then the train drove away. 25 years later, in India, this young army officer met Lord Rodstock again. And he says to him, Sir, he says, that day on the railway platform, when you showed me the pencil, when that train moved away, I gave my life to Christ. And he says, I want to tell you, he has kept me from falling. He has held me straight ever since. Young believer, old believer, he can keep you from falling. He can present you, James says, faultless before his Father's throne. Glory to God. Because he's faithful. Because he is able. And because he is true. First Kings 8, 56. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel. According to all that he promised, there has not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised through his servant Moses. Every prophetic word that God gave to Moses, that he spoke on behalf of God, came true. Not one word failed. And if that was true with Moses, how much more with Jesus, the Son of God? Do you think his word's going to fail? I don't think so. Do you think his promises will falter? I don't think so. Because he is true. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Hmm. Some men are faithful, but they're not able. Some men are able, but they're not faithful. But God is both able and faithful. What he says he can do, he will do. Revelation 19.11, his name is faithful, and his name is true. Names in the Bible often denote nature or character. And it's the nature of Christ to be faithful and to be absolutely true to his word. Sooner or later, you and I will fail. Sooner or later, you and I will offend. 
Sooner or later, you and I will stumble, but he never will. And he's able to keep us, even when we stumble, to lift us up again. That we're not permanently fallen. We were fallen once, and he lifted us up and saved us. Glory to God. And thank God today, he's holding us. He's also just. Many things in this life just seem so unfair, so unequal. The righteous suffer. The wicked seem to get off scot-free. The righteous often die young, and the wicked live on. Hugh Hefner, one of the most perverted Mm, I better be careful what I say. What an awful lifestyle. A pornographer. A man who has destroyed the lives of many through that. A man who just so uses and abuses women all his life. He lives to his 91. It doesn't seem fair. When young believers are dying... So lots of things in life doesn't seem fair. But when was this life ever fair? After the fall in the Garden of Eden. It's a fallen world. It's an unfair, unjust world because sin came in and destroyed it. It's not the world that God created, which was perfect, a paradise. It's not the world that God will end up with again, a perfect paradise but it's the bit in between where sin and Satan has ruined and racked lives and destroyed people. And too often it seems to be that the victim suffer more than the criminal even when they're caught. And so life does seem unfair and unjust and it's a big problem for many people. It's a big issue sometimes for people. Because the trouble is, we always want the books to balance in this life. And sometimes they do, but often they don't. And that's one of the reasons why it's important to believe in an afterlife. Because only then will all the wrongs be righted fully. Only then will justice prevail fully. So no matter how unjust and unfair stuff in this life seem right now, that seems to be never dealt with, one day it will be dealt with. And God will deal with it. The Son of God will deal with it. He will be the judge. But we want the books to balance in this life. Sometimes they do. Joseph was unfairly treated. His brother shamefully sold him into slavery, wanted to kill him, hated him, sold him into slavery. And while he was in a, as a slave in Egypt, Potiphar's wife lied about him, ruined his reputation, tried to destroy him, throw him into jail, languished in there for a couple of years. Didn't ask for any of this. Didn't deserve any of this. Seems so unfair. Would the books ever be balanced? But the books were balanced. 
because God had a plan for Joseph. And you know the story in the end, Joseph rose up to be prime minister of all Egypt. Not only that, he saved his family. And because he saved his family, he saved a whole nation in the process. And so for Joseph, the books were balanced. Think of Moses. <laughs> Moses left Egypt with two million whining, gurning, criticizing, complaining people. Imagine having a congregation of two million and all they do is yap at you all day, every day. And only once did he lose his temper. One time. And God says, you can't take them out of the promised land. Now, when you read that, it doesn't seem fair. You say, God, that, that seems a bit harsh. I mean, he only lost his temper once in all those 40 years of whinging. But you see, Moses represented the law, the law which was perfect, the law which men, even the best of men, could not keep holy and continually broke God's law. But God raised up Joshua. His name means deliverer, savior, a type of Christ who took them into the promised land. The law can never take any man into the promised land. The law just shows us how sinful we are, so we need a savior to take us into the promised land. And Joshua, Jesus, is our savior. But in Matthew 17, on the Mount of Transfiguration. There we see Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus about his demise, about his crucifixion to come. <laughs> Took a long time, but the books were balanced. He had the joy and the awesome privilege of speaking to the Son of God, no less, about his death on Calvary, along with Elijah, representing the law and the prophets. But in Hebrews 11, verse 32, and what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms and worked righteousness and obtained promise and stopped the mouth of lions and quenched the violence of the fire and escaped the edge of the sword and out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight of the armies of the aliens, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead, raised to life. This is the great roll call of faith. But we can't stop there. But others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had a trial of mockings and scourgings, and yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the word was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. All these 
having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Not like the others. Did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. <laughs> they had to wait till we arrived on the scene before the books were bounced. It would be lovely if the books were always balanced here and now. But my guess is for many of us, that won't be the case. We'll have to wait. In Revelation 15, then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the last seven plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name standing on the sea of glass, having harps of gold, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, and all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been made manifested. In this portion of Scripture, the writer is telling us that God one day is going to judge this world. But before he does, we should know that his judgments will be fair and just no matter how awful they are, no matter how terrible they are, and they are if you read Revelation, for the writer is making that we know, we know for sure that God is faithful and God is just. Whatever he does is just, and it's right, and it's righteous. So we need to know that he is faithful, that we shall not be disappointed. You remember how that God sent two angels to Abraham. He was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But he wanted to make sure that what had come up before him was the truth so he could judge fairly and justly. So he sent the two angels to suss it out, as it were. And Abraham went with them. And verse 16, Then the men rose from there and looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, since Abraham surely will become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they, may be keep the, that they may keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice. The Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see what they have done according to the outcry against it that is common to me, and if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood still before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Ah, 
There were some righteous in that wicked city. Lot was there. Abraham's relative was there. He was a righteous man, but he vexed his soul daily by living in that environment. Will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there be 50 righteous within the city. Would you destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should not be as the wicked. Far be it from you, or should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? <laughs> See what Abraham's doing. He's appealing to the justice of God. He's saying, Lord, listen, there is somebody righteous in that city. Don't destroy them with the wicked. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? I'm appealing to your righteousness. I'm appealing to your sense of justice and fairness. And if you read on down there, you'll see that, that God and Abraham were bargaining if there's 50, if there's 40, and they all die. If there's 10 righteous people, and God says, I'll not destroy it if there's 10, but there wasn't 10. Imagine that great city, and there wasn't even 10 righteous people in it. And for their wickedness, God had to destroy them. You see, God is a just God. He's a fair God. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Whoever believes on him shall not be disappointed. So you can trust him, his fairness, his justice, his faithfulness, his truthfulness, his mercy, his compassion, every attribute that he's got, you can trust him. Not the man that he should lie. He's not like us. Not frail like us, prone to make mistakes and to sin. No. Perfect in all of his ways. That's the one that we serve today. Amen. That's the one that we're trusting in today. Not men. Because men will fail. The best of men are men at best. So they're going to fail. But he'll never fail. So we can put our trust wholly in the Lord Jesus Christ today. We did that years ago when he saved us, many of us, and we found that to be true, that he's faithful and he's true. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that that day and hour whenever we put our faith and our trust in you as our Savior, that from them we have not been disappointed in you. We've been disappointed in things and people, sometimes in church, sometimes in pastors, sometimes in each other, but we have never, ever been disappointed in you. You're faithful and you're true. So we thank you for these years, Lord, that we have served you and followed you and walked with you, and we find you to be true and faithful. So we bless you for that. And so, Lord, as we go into our tomorrows, whatever time is allotted to us in this life, we're going to completely and totally trust you, and we shall not be disappointed.
Thank you for the promises. Thank you for your word that never fails. Thank you, Lord, for doing what you said you can and will do. We're going to look to you today to do everything, to bring every promise in our lives to fruition. No matter how long we have to wait, we believe, Lord, that we'll see it in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.